0: If you are a teacher, parent, administrator, student and or anyone who loves reconnecting children with nature and you want to figure out how to cultivate learning gardens and nature-based curriculum, then this is the podcast. The Outdoor Classrooms Podcast. My name is Victoria Hackett. I am the founder of OutdoorClassrooms.com and the Secret Gardens Nature Classes. I love witnessing the magic that happens when children are playfully learning outdoors. Observing the return of wonder and curiosity when children are interacting with nature is pure magic. This is the podcast that is going to help you capture children's interest and give you not only inspiration, but some real life strategies that are going to help you figure out how to use the outdoor space, your outdoor space, as a teaching tool so you can enlighten the playful learning experience for young children. Welcome to our Outdoor Classrooms community. Did you know that outdoor classrooms improve children's emotional, intellectual, and behavioral development while helping foster the development of creativity, problem-solving, independence, and confidence? The problem is... Overwhelm, fear, and a lack of time can often make achieving any outdoor classroom vision into reality more trouble than it's worth. Did you know that we have a membership community at Outdoor Classrooms? It's the leading training community for educators and parents interested in cultivating outdoor classrooms and creating nature-based curriculum. It's a membership to support, collaborate, educate, and bring like-minded educators together. And it's packed with in-depth practical training, and resources for all aspects of planning, running, and growing a sustainable outdoor classroom. Plus, the community support you need to ensure your teaching gardens achieve their full potential. While his claim to fame might be as a retired racing sausage for the Milwaukee Brewers, Peter Dargatz is prouder for being a father of three nature-loving children, a national board-certified teacher, and the coordinator of a well-respected public school nature kindergarten program at Woodside Elementary in Sussex, Wisconsin. Transitioning his classroom from the inside to outside has allowed him to create and develop His four P's philosophy focusing on play based, place based, project based, and personalized learning. This philosophy foundations are cemented in play, citizen science, service learning, and community collaborations. Along with Nature Kindergarten Program, Peter is the coordinator for all school collaboration with the Retzer Nature Center and District Wide Family Nature Club. He is also the volunteer coordinator. Coordinator for the Ice Age Trail Alliance's Tike Hike program aimed at getting families of young children out in nature using Wisconsin's Ice Age National Scenic Trail. Additionally, he is the founding member of the Wisconsin Nature Based Early Childhood Association, board member for the Wisconsin Association. Environmental Education, a contributing author of the Natural Start Alliance's nature-based preschool professional practice guide, and regular columnist for the Play and Playground magazine. Peter's first book, Teaching Off Trail, was released by Redleaf Press in November 2021. Without further ado, Peter Dargatz. Hello, everybody. We are here with Peter Dargatz, and he is going to be talking about his new book, Teaching Off Trail. Welcome, Peter. Everyone. Peter, we're going to dive right in. Just want to hear your story about how you uh, got to this point. I know it's you had one little person that changed your story.
1: My 18th year and my 11th year of kindergarten, and about eight years ago, I had a little student that really changed my perspective, and I. Like like to refer to her as the student that changed it all. And long story short, she was a rock star academically. She she did amazing things in the classroom. I joke that I stunted her growth academically because she came in knowing more than I did about pretty much everything and was doing all these extra academic things just for fun. And as we finished up our end of the year curricular responsibilities, I I took the things out of the closet that I had sort of been trained now that kindergarten is kind of like the new second grade, that there were things in my closet that used to be in a traditional kindergarten that were kind of brought out for special occasions and rewards like puzzles and art supplies and board games and toys and things. I brought those out those last few um, weeks of kindergarten just to kind of keep us all sane as we prepared for summer. And I noticed some some wonderful things from all of the students. Um, I saw kids that were normally quiet and reserved were becoming leaders and were taking risks and were doing things and showing parts of their personality that I had never seen before. And unfortunately for the student that changed at all, I saw a little bit of a a regression. She she didn't know how to problem solve. She didn't really know how to initiate play or initiate conversations when it wasn't directly related to some sort of academic task or goal. And I realized that I'm not really doing my job as a teacher. Sure, I'm getting great data points. The kids are doing well on assessments, but they're not learning the skills that are necessary for things beyond academics. So I decided to change my approach and did a lot of research, a lot of soul searching and started a play-based, a more more traditionally kindergarten play-based approach, right? We just deliberately inserted play into our schedule, we focused curricular things around play, a lot of free play, a lot of choice play. And in that process of research, I found a little bit more about outdoor play and noticed that our school was fortunate enough to have a large, about six acres behind our school that was just kind of there. And no one really ever used it. It was, you know, it was kind of an oak savanna, more grazing grass because it used to be farming, but there were scattered trees and a little bit of woodland section but nobody ever used it. So longer story shorter, I wrote a uh, proposal that went through a variety of different revisions and changes and worked the way up the ladder through the district. And eventually uh, about 48 hours before the the, uh, next school year started, I was given permission to uh, create an outdoors classroom. So I took my little lawnmower, made a very primitive trail and kind of uh, figured it out as we went from there, and uh, eight years later, uh, it's a very successful program that is inclusive of all of our kindergarten um, classrooms. It's a a full school uh, collaboration with our local nature center, and we have a district wide family nature club that uses that trail, another trail that's been created in our district since then, and other natural areas throughout our district. And it's just been a a, a really eye opening experience for many people that you know, it, it you can do things a little bit different, a little bit, what might might seem unorthodox, but it's really what's best for the kids. And it will still produce the results that you're seeking, but in a much happier and healthier whole child experience.
0: That's incredible. Incredible. Ah, oh, they're so lucky to have you. Yeah. So creating that space, uh, transitions outdoors upon the four Ps. Can you explain what those are?
1: Yeah. As many teachers know, things kind of go in a circle and curricular cycles What's kind of the hot take of the day today will eventually fizzle out. But then 15 years later, it's back to what you got to do. So it's (laughs) all circular. And there is something that we were getting a lot of professional development on called the four C's. And those were the, the skills necessary for life beyond school. And, well, they certainly have value. And it made sense. And a lot of those things are important for kids. When I was detailing and creating my kind of philosophy I kind of came up with four P's that kind of fit. And they all kind of revolve around play, which is the number one, the most important P. Um, so play-based. So we play inside, we play outside, we have free play, we have structured play, we have unstructured play, which is a term I don't necessarily like or agree with because structure in its essence, it, or a play, excuse me, in its essence, it's structured. Oftentimes the kids are the ones structuring it and the adults are the ones who don't understand how it's mm-hmm. structured, but it's structured. But play is the the core of all these things, but there's also the other piece. Um, first off, it's place-based, so I'm really into learning strategies about how kids can understand their own communities, like literally their own backyards, and really know, so learn the actual names of the plants, and the animals, and the insects, and it's something that they have specific knowledge with. No, they're not assessed on that, like it doesn't matter if they know what that flower is, but to get more familiarity and to to. To trust them and honor them with actual vocabulary that they can understand and at least be exposed to rather than kind of try to water things down and dumb things down for these kids. They don't, they don't need that. They, they, they can understand and do those things if we give them the opportunity. So really focusing on also do project-based. Now, that is not um, dioramas and posters like you might think project-based, although that can be if that's how a child that determines that they want to present their learning. But in terms of projects, we're talking about longer scale, important projects that reach out community. So we have citizen science projects that we're working on. We do a great Wisconsin Birdathon where the kids are learning about birdification. Mm-hmm. They go birding, and we re- bring that research back to scientists so we can learn migratory patterns and raise money for migratory birds that throughout the Midwest. Um, we do the garlic mustard pull-a-thon. Um Garlic mustard's an invasive. Um, species that is overtaking the forest and the kids it's, it's really easy to identify and even easier to pull so it's great for even our youngest learners we learn about it why it's uh, damaging to our woods and to our woodlands and the kids we pull it and we learn about it and it's also expanded to some other plants that are easy to identify but it's these citizen science projects that are great we have trail working projects that the kids work on all year where it's prairie restoration or some kind of trail tread maintenance that the kids can do and they give back to their classroom, not just using it, but they, they improve it for beauty and other classrooms in the future. And just these longer term projects, but we also connect projects to their learning. And then the, the, I guess the fourth P after play, place-based and project-based is personalized. Really looking for ways for each child to find a classroom community, and a a way of learning that is personal to them. So it's not Mm -hmm. just bringing personal things of them into the classroom. It's really adapting the curriculum around the child rather than trying to squeeze the kids into some sort of prescribed curriculum. So all of these things are super important to me. Do they take more time? Maybe if you're looking at it just from the outside, you might say, well, I don't have the time or energy to do those things. But once you get started, it's amazing how motivating it is to create these multifaceted, curricular connected, community-based opportunities. And it, it, it just brings so much out of what you can do as a teacher and what the kids can do as little humans. So it, it really gives way more than you put into it. So it's a really cool uh, way of developing and it's, it's ever changing. Every year you get different kids. So your philosophy mm-hmm. changes. It has to, if it doesn't, then you're not really doing what you need to for your
0: yeah, it's it's incredible because I've been watching you over the years, and it's it's just been so interesting. You get one idea, and it's that domino effect. You know, you get one idea, mm-hmm. and that one idea leads the next idea, and then it keeps going. And then all of a sudden, you've got the entire community, the entire school, and everybody's curious. What's the, what's what's Peter doing? You know.
1: So. Yeah, my former administrator kind of wrapped it up to me in a, a end of the year evaluation a couple of years ago. He came to me and he said, a number of years ago, you came to me with a plan a proposal for creating an outdoor kindergarten space in a play-based um, year. And you brought that attention to me, to administration, to your team. And even before that, I've seen you and your team, you've kind of moved a little bit away from your team. You, you always work well together, but you're always a little bit away from them. <laughs> and, well, Peter, what I've noticed is that while you've been a little bit away from them, I'm noticing your team is inching closer towards you. Um. However, as they're inching closer towards you, you're racing even further away so it it does it is one of those things that you do kind of once you start doing things that you realize are beneficial for the kids, it does kind of come into addiction you're like, well what can I do next? well how can I make this even bigger and better and more inclusive for for everyone so it's yeah. it's it's a lot of fun so it's it's definitely, Motivating and engaging and I think today and some of the the school systems and a lot of the uh, external factors that are going on that are not making education the most fun profession to be in um kind of being able to distract yourself and focus on the kids and what's going to be best for the kids is definitely uh well, much more motivating.
0: Can you elaborate on your community collaborations and, and how that came to be? And, and cause it gets, there's so much on educators plates that it's oftentimes very difficult, but you tend, you really make it look easy. You, but, and then you've also opened up your wings to invite other people into your, your world. And I think that's beautiful. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Sure. Um, well, a lot of it just starts with building partnerships, and I've built partnerships with a variety of people in kind of the natural nature world. I became a volunteer for our local nature center, and in that volunteering experience, we kind of realized, hey, we have shared goals and objectives, so let's let's figure that out. So that nature center would come to our school a couple times a year, we'd go there, and, and we built a, a year-long kind of curricular structure with that plan where every visit kind of built off of the previous instead of being like eight separate field trips it became like one long growing project which was kind Mm -hmm. of fun we also do a variety of things with other organizations like the international crane foundation in baraboo which is a few hours away but they focus on again the crane species that live around the world and they have great conservation principles and We love going there. So I just kind of connected with their educator, went to a workshop that they had and found out ways that my kids could, from a little bit of a distance, it was more of a virtual experience. And that's one thing that our year of COVID in the classroom did bring us the opportunity to create partnerships with people and organizations that might be further away. So there's a couple other things I'll hit on real quick that I've connected with. Like I, I I am an author and I love writing books. Besides writing for educators, I've I've slowly been trying to creep into the uh, children's literature world. I was a I did a lot more before children, and then when <laughs> children came, they kind of took up a little bit more of my time. And then, uh, are my teaching and my uh, education authorship kind of took up? So I'm I'm still kind of dabbling, but in my process of learning about um, becoming published in that way, I, I connected with a number of authors, and just connecting with them and talking with them, I'm like, well, what? Let's bring them into the classroom. So mm. my kids do a specific author studies and book studies on picture books written by authors in Wisconsin and we do pen pals. So we'll email them or sometimes even Zoom them about their books about those things and those relationships get built up through the year. And it's just a closer connection to the things and, and it, it makes learning more real. Yeah. But I think the biggest collaboration that I love to do that has really changed the way I teach is our collaboration with uh, Children's Wisconsin. It's our local children's hospital and it's outside of Milwaukee. It's a, just a fantastic hospital. When I was in high school, I had to get volunteer hours and I decided to go there to get some hours. And I was there an hour or so before I realized I I can't, I couldn't be here. I just couldn't, I couldn't, it just wasn't I, just to see kids, I, it just felt so unfair to me. So mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, I couldn't volunteer there. I ended up volunteering in a different hospital with the elderly community. And that to me, it, it made more sense. Not that they didn't deserve the best long mm-hmm. life as help, but I, I just felt better in that sense. But that, 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 that short burst of time and experience in children's hospital really touched me. And my my kids have been fortunate. My th- I have three children, and I've been fortunate enough where they haven't had to have long term stays at the hospital. They've had to go on for a a, a couple different incidents that kids right. often get yeah, themselves into. Yeah. But I I still always connect to that first initial experience of just seeing and feeling the community, even though I felt so sad about being in it. I I knew that this was a strong and a great place, and so. I worked with my, a certain class and we decided, well, we're going to have a classroom charity this year. And it started off as just developing a little mini unit around wants and needs a social studies um, part of our curriculum. And we learned about what wants and needs are and the kids raised money, you know, did things in the classroom that were, um, the kids did jobs, they did jobs at school or jobs at home, they did, they did things where they could raise money and eventually they, we donated that money to the hospital. And it morphed into other things. It was usually during the holidays, so the kids would create a list of wants they wanted for the holidays and then they would investigate and research how much those wants costs, so they mm. could tell Santa or their parents or whoever they wanted <laughs> and then they were given the opportunity to cross something off of their wants list and they knew how much it costs and then asked Santa or their parents to donate that, the amount that, that, that want was for a child in need at, at the hospital. And they, they did all these wonderful things. And it was amazed how these kids took it so personally at, at a time of year where it's, you know, it's very exciting and almost like egocentric for them to like, want, I want these toys. I want this yeah. list. I want all the other things. They were voluntarily giving up something. And maybe it was the smallest item. Maybe it was only something that was worth a little bit, but that, that didn't matter. It wasn't the amount. It was the, the, the object that they were giving something up for them. And so when I saw that that was successful, I mean, I did it to myself. I tell my parents every year, like I appreciate teacher gifts. Those are great. I love Swedish fish and Dr. Pepper. Those are two of my favorite (laughs) things, but for my health and for my longevity, i don't need those anymore like feel free to donate anything that you would provide for a for the teacher put that as a donation into children's um wisconsin so it, it it's something that we all do and now it's become a four semester long or four a quarter long yeah. every quarter long our wants and needs product kind of to, to kick off then we do a cookie sale a cookies and cocoa sale um, where the kids bake cookies or do good things to buy cookies. And then we sell with the proceeds going to the hospital. We do a recycle rummage where the kids are throughout the year building things out of recyclable materials that most people would just toss. And then we're having a little kind of like recycle rummage sale where the money raised goes to Children's of Wisconsin. And you're amazed how much Money a grandma will buy for a toilet paper a <laughs> puppet that a roll a toilet paper roll puppet that someone made. It's amazing how much money that can get for the hospital. But then going back to the beginning of the year and kind of reconnecting to nature and the outdoors, my kids uh, lead a pumpkin stroll or a pumpkin walk. We call it for pumpkins for a purpose at our trail where they get Halloween decorations, whether it's and fall decorations that either they bring from home or we purchase they decorate the trail they lead different activities around the trail and then we write to a local pumpkin farmer who will donate some pumpkins and everyone can walk out of the experience with the pumpkin and some fall treats and then hopefully a donation to the hospital. So, and all of these projects are kid-led. All of these projects involve leading up activities to the event with m- many cross-curricular things whether mm-hmm. it's writing, reading, investigating, research. Science. I mean, it's all connected. So, it's, it's it's not a separate add-on to the things we're already doing. It's just doing the things that we're required to do in a different way and in a way that's more meaningful and hopefully memorable for the kids. So, it's just about finding those connections and using your kids interests along with the curriculum that you what he um, just looking at ways that you can make it more meaningful and fun I mean That's could it. go through the curriculum in the in the lessons and just go through them kind of like a robot sure would you reach those lessons great but it doesn't lead the lasting memories that these kind of experiences do
0: it's it's amazing I can't believe we haven't really dug I mean we talked about it but your book teaching off trail it's fantastic what inspired you to
1: i got it too
0: hey <laughs> what inspired you to to write this book i mean you're doing so much it's it's so wonderful to put it pen to paper but tell us the story about your your book
1: yeah well like i said i've i have an aspiration and a dream of writing picture books and that is some one of the hardest tasks i've ever tried to do it just is it's a drop in a bucket of the things that I've done compared to the things that you need to do to be a published author but that's where my focus is so I already kind of knew a little bit about the stages of publishing and the, the, the process although writing for adults and writing for kids is two very different worlds there are some similarities but I had no intentions of writing a book for adults or writing a book about my teaching it just I never really thought about it but with the with this program I've had the opportunity to, Opportunities to present at conferences, sometimes nature-based conferences, sometimes early childhood conferences, sometimes play-based conferences, citizen science conferences, (laughs) all sorts of different conferences, which is great. I love you know going to these different experiences and learning just as much as I'm hopefully teaching and we're educating others. But there was one theme. No matter if I was talking to a group of two people or two hundred people, there was always someone that would stick around at the end and say like you need to write this down like more people need to know this and i got to the point where after a number of conferences i was getting that same five people after a presentation i'm like well golly they're telling me what are you doing maybe this is a thing. so i i wrote out i wrote a little proposal i did my research on how to how to even start this process because in in children's literature you basically in picture books you write the whole thing you try to sell it to an agent or to a publisher and i'm like i don't want to i don't want to write a whole book and then find it fall flat on its face so luckily learning about the process you only write like an outline and a sample piece of writing and then you work with your publisher so it's like oh okay i I can do that and I, i i wrote a basic outline which is my first outline and the actual book are almost complete different but that's okay that's that's the process and I wrote a sample outline, a sample of writing of just a little bit about it. I, I didn't want to write like a textbook. I've read many textbooks for educational, professional development. And I wanted to write something a little bit more conversational. And so I, I tried to write it in a different way. And I sent it out to a couple different of the educational publishers, the ones that I had, had known about. or And I basically looked at books that I had already purchased or read about nature about and re- focused on those companies since i figured that's kind of their their jam and red leaf press out of minnesota my neighbor state was foolish enough to say yes we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll publish it and so and, and they really love um they loved the voice of it. Yeah. They loved that. it, it did people like a textbook. It was more of like a conversation. I, I put a lot of terrible jokes in it, which is always great. And some of the worst jokes got taken out. So I guess that'll <laughs> sometime down the line. But it, it was just something that I, I had a lot of fun writing it because it was just, it was kind of like, well, just do you and send it to us and we'll tweak it so that it, it'll work. I didn't have yeah. to focus on, on trying to perfect it. It was just, just, just write your story and kind of see what is- happens.
0: And it's you, it's, it's so well-written that it is, it's, it's well-written and it has so much information about, and especially I think for public school teachers, because I think oftentimes they can just get drowned in the standards and, and the restrictions and all of that. And I think this is such a wonderful example of really using the campuses that your school is on and, and teaching off trail. I think the name of it is perfect because everything about it, I love it.
1: And it's, it, I love the fact that you brought up a pub, the public school part, because that is, it's something that so many people think they can't do things differently, that a different, more kind of out of the box, the stirring the box approach is more for private school or Regio or Montessori or preschool. And you can't do that in a public school system. And are there extra hurdles in the public school system that maybe you have to jump? Yes but conversely there are also lots of extra resources available to you in the public school system so you kind of get the good with the bad and mm. it it is a possibility and it it's it's not necessarily a possibility i think it's a necessity that people should look into and one of the things that i've i've had to struggle with is trying to convince other educators to, to try new things. And it's not even necessarily connected to being outside. That's my passion. And yes, mm-hmm. when I love every one of my fellow teachers at my school, in my district, to go outside, to use our trail, to use our, of course, I would love that. But that's not it's for everyone. Right. But there's a couple things that I always tell, I always try to in, kind of impart on other teachers. One, it's you're not necessarily doing what's right for you or best for you you've got to think about putting the kids at the forefront and you have have to step out of your comfort zone to do things that one that that is beneficial for the kids but also to be an example for those kids and i i say that that's me anything involving technology (laughs) i am as technologically illiterate as possible. But (laughs) those are things that I know there's opportunities there and I can't just ignore them because it's not something I feel comfortable with. It's an opportunity. not It shouldn't be an obstacle. But secondly, don't feel like if you want to do something like follow my example of going outside, don't think you have to go to like, you don't have to jump 85,000 steps and do this immaculate, this Mm -hmm. huge thing. Small steps, little things that it, just a little just dabble in it and let the kids get that opportunity, and instead focus on what your passion is. like it doesn't have, mine is being outside and kind of exploring the nature that's, that's what works for me. That's why I'm able to create and maneuver these things around that passion for the benefit of the kids. But there might be something different and won't let that stop you. real quick. my I had a former teammate in fourth grade that he loved jazz music and he would play jazz music before the school came. And I didn't mind jazz music. I just don't understand it. Like there was a lot, it just, it did all the pattern of music that I was, there was a lot of, you know, it kind of went in different pathways and it, it was wonderful, but I, I didn't understand it. And he, he, it's connected with him, but two minutes before the kids would come, he'd, he'd turn off the jazz music and he would be very stoic and very serious. And that kind of like <laughs> free feeling, person was gone because it was time to get serious and it was it was something that I'm like I wonder I wonder how this would work if he brought that side of him to the classroom so I did other things in my with my passion and, and I brought fun and you know different things to the classroom and I think he saw that and so he you know was inquiring about it and he ended up creating a jazz unit he brought in books about jazz artists and he did you know he just did some creative things about jazz even though jazz wasn't on the curriculum he 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 turned the curriculum into that and it was just amazing to see him light up and him bring that joy like that joyful side into the classroom and the kids responded to that, even though they might not like jazz, they might not, they were t- nine and ten-year-olds, they might not have a lot of experience with jazz being in suburban Wisconsin, but guess what? They saw a teacher that was engaged, a teacher that a teacher that was motivated, a teacher that, that was passionate about something, and they naturally followed suit. So whether your passion is going outside or whether it's sewing or whether it's looking or whether it's anything. Bring elements of that in the classroom and just watch it develop into something bigger than itself. You know, it, it's amazing how those things can develop.
0: That's that's icing on the cake. It's so important. And I think no no matter where you are, like you said, if you're in a private school, public school, it's it's all important, but it just might be a different road or path to get to where you want to go, but it's not necessarily a stop sign. So I... For sure. Incredible. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our community? I think what you're doing is absolutely incredible.
1: Well, thank you. No, I just I appreciate the time. And yeah, like I said, go out there and just have fun. Go explore nature. Bring your passion into the classroom. Don't let the the obstacles that we all have to face, don't let that get in the way of what's important. Always put kids at the forefront. If we focus on them and everything that we do. The the hardest days will be softer, and the, the toughest days will be smoother if if we focus on them, and that's always the, that's always the key. So, just uh, thanks again for the opportunity, and uh, if anyone out there has any questions about public school specific implementation of these types of things, or just wants to chat more. Um, I'm always open to having conversations and just chatting with other people that are interested in doing anything and everything that'll make our education a better thing for the kids. So feel free to reach out.
0: Great. And I will have all your resources in the show notes. So once again, your book is teaching off trail, my classrooms, nature transfer transformation through play, which is a, a, a must read and it's incredible if you are in a public school peter is the, your person really has demonstrated and showcased and fallen in love with how you can really take your public school classrooms outdoors and working with the system and getting not only his classroom outside his his other classrooms in his school and also expanded that to the community, which is incredible. Peter, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you're doing a lot over there, so I want to thank you again.
1: Uh, currently, I was joking before we started, I'm we, we just acquired a 20-acre Harvey farm. I'm uh, I'm sitting in my garden right now. It's uh, a little bit warm this morning, so I'm getting ready to water them. And I'd already opened up, but we have about 50 chickens and 20 oh, wow. acres of prairie and woodlands in, in need of restoration. So I keep myself busy when I'm not in the classroom.
0: You are definitely. <laughs> I've been watching you on... Watching your pictures is incredible! Thank you for joining us here at the Outdoor Classrooms podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with anybody who you think would enjoy it and follow us on Instagram. We'd love to continue the conversation. If you want to continue the conversation even deeper, please join us in the Circle community. The purpose of the Circle is to support, guide, and push you as you continually grow and sustain your outdoor classroom by providing the tools to help you set the right goals and actually follow through in achieving those goals with the support of our amazing community. Each month, 24-7, you get guidance and support from myself. You get to begin your journey with our new member roadmap. You get access to our outdoor teaching boot camp. You get to interact and learn from guest experts who are on our podcast. They come into our membership and join us to continue the conversation. You get to connect and collaborate during two live sessions a month. You get access to all our online workshops and masterclasses. You get, get to dig deeper with our membership missions each month. And you get to become an ambassador of joy for children. I hope you can join us. For the price of one workshop, you get all of this. You get to become a member of our family at Outdoor Classroom. So I hope you can join us. I will share the link in the show notes and we'll see you later. Come join us.